It's Dr. Jeff again, and welcome back to Understanding Childhood Cancer. And I seem to have a quick half hour before the next meeting, so I thought I'd handle one more chemotherapy drug today. So today I'm going to talk about a drug called cisplatin, cisplatin, C-I-S-P-L-A-T-I-N, cisplatin. It's a chemotherapy drug. It messes with the DNA in tumour cells, and that's how it kills them. And in particular, cisplatin has a platinum atom inside the molecule, inside the drug molecule. And so the platinum gets into the DNA, messes up the DNA, and that's how it kills cancer cells. And that's why it's called cisplatin. There's another drug called carboplatin that acts in a similar way, but it's quite different as drugs go, so it will deserve a separate podcast. Anyway, first off, let's talk about what diseases we use cisplatin for because there's several diseases, but they're mostly the solid tumours and brain tumours. So we don't really use it in leukaemia. We don't really use it in lymphoma. I have seen it used in Hodgkin's lymphoma, but it wouldn't be one of the main drugs in Hodgkin's lymphoma. So mostly it's in some of the solid tumours and brain tumours. So In particular, we use it in neuroblastoma, particularly in high-risk neuroblastoma, we use it. It's one of the main drugs for osteogenic sarcoma. It's probably the main drug for medulloblastoma, a brain tumour, and we certainly use it in another brain tumour called ATRT. That's atypical teratoid rhabdoid tumour, ATRT. There's another brain tumour called ependymoma. And in ependymoma, we do use cisplatin sometimes. We're still working out the role of chemotherapy in ependymoma, but when we do use chemotherapy, often it might include cisplatin. We use cisplatin in the treatment of germ cell tumours. So certain patients with testicular or ovarian tumours or intracranial germ cell tumours they may get cisplatin, and so do patients with hepatoblastoma. That's a tumour of the liver, less common tumour type, but cisplatin's a good drug very often in hepatoblastoma. So the things we don't use it in are the leukaemias and the lymphomas. We don't use it much in Wilms tumour. I guess it's been used from time to time, but it wouldn't be commonly in use. And we wouldn't use cisplatin very often in Ewing sarcoma or in rhabdomyosarcoma. Next, let's talk about how you give cisplatin chemotherapy to people. Well, it's a drug that's always given intravenously. And normally it's given over a period of time, like it might be given over one hour or four to six hours. Or in some situations, it's given by a long 24-hour infusion. And the key thing about cisplatinum is that it's normally given with a lot of fluids given in the drip as well. And in the bag of fluids will be the usual sort of salt and sugar and all of those things. But also we would normally put something called mannitol in the bag and often we would put magnesium in the bag. And these complicated combinations of fluids and mannitol and magnesium 
are all designed to protect the kidneys from damage by cisplatinum because the kidneys are one of the particular organs that cisplatinum can damage. And so very often we would start with a period of prehydration. So we would hook the patient up to a drip and we might give them fluids for a few hours or in some situations we might give them fluids overnight and then start the cisplatinum in the morning. It all depends a bit on the total dose that we'll be giving and a few other things. So normally there'll be some prehydration, a high drip rate for some period of time, and then we'll give the cisplatinum with the mannitol and with the magnesium, and then normally follow it with fluids again. And it might be followed for several hours of fluids, or it may be followed for a full 24 hours of fluids to follow the cisplatinum. And all of that, again, is to protect the kidneys from the cisplatinum. Now, cisplatinum is quite bad at causing people to feel sick and nauseous and vomiting. And so, as a routine, we would also be giving anti-vomiting drugs, usually at the start of the cisplatinum and then every several hours afterwards. So, cisplatinum really is about the worst drug that I can think of as far as causing nausea and vomiting. So, listen to my episode on anti-vomiting medications and you can hear all about it but we would generally be giving a drug like ondansetron or granisetron and then we regularly would escalate to include a second and then a third anti-vomiting drug if we needed it but anyway a lot of the time patients who are having cisplatinum might be admitted to hospital overnight to have it both to have all the anti-vomiting medicines and all the fluids with it and sometimes there are schedules that go on for three or four or five days, and so and so those patients might be admitted to hospital for the whole time. There are other times when you can give cisplatinum just in the sort of day hospital clinic area with all the fluids beforehand and afterwards, but it tends to be a long day. Next, I'd like to talk about the side effects of cisplatin. So the first one I've already mentioned, and that's nausea and vomiting and cisplatin's quite nasty for this, and the effect of cisplatinum can even persist for some days after we finish giving the drug. So it may even last into the next week. So it can be quite bad, that delayed nausea and vomiting. And so patients will always need some sort of anti-vomiting medicine, and usually they'll need it for some days afterwards. The other thing that can go wrong during the period of time of giving the cisplatinum and then in the period shortly after is that patients may drop their magnesium level. You can get a low magnesium level from cisplatinum and you can get it during the treatment or you can have a low magnesium level that persists for many months and even permanently. Some patients have needed to be on magnesium supplements. So magnesium is one of these salts in your blood. It's a very important chemical in your blood. And if it goes too low, well, then we need to replace the magnesium. Sometimes we give it through the drip if the patient's in hospital. But very often we end up with patients taking magnesium tablets when they go home. And we can monitor the magnesium level with a simple blood test fairly routinely. I've had a couple of patients who get cramps in their legs at night and when I've fixed their magnesium levels up, I've found that the cramps have stopped. So I don't know how often cramps are caused by magnesium things in general, but in those particular patients, it seemed like they stopped getting cramps once I gave them extra magnesium. But the big side effects to really be aware of with cisplatinum are 
a toxic effect on hearing and on the kidneys. So they're the ones I'll want to talk about the most today. First, let's talk about hearing. Cisplatinum can affect the nerve that goes from your ear to your brain and delivers the messages of hearing. And that's called sensory neural hearing damage. So before we start cisplatinum treatment, usually we would do something called an audiogram just to measure what a patient's hearing is like before we ever started, in case they had some hearing loss that nobody knew about. But also so that we can repeat the hearing test after a few doses of cisplatinum and try to work out if the cisplatinum is affecting the hearing. Now in particular, cisplatin affects high frequency hearing. So if you think about a piano and you think about those notes way off to the right hand side, I'm talking about notes that are even higher than that, really high, high frequencies. In fact, they're not even frequencies where where we normally think we're hearing much. But those very high frequencies, they are somewhat important to speech. For instance, when you try to distinguish the sound of a P from a B, the high frequency edge on the P is important to making that distinction between a P and a B. So high frequency hearing is of some importance. It's not quite as important, I suppose, as Uh, the frequencies that we hear in the normal spoken voice range, but high frequencies are important to our hearing. And so the first thing that can be affected when we give cisplatinum is indeed that high frequency hearing. Now with the hearing, it is clearly related to the total amount of cisplatinum that a patient receives. So we can add up every dose of cisplatinum one after another after another, and come up with a cumulative total dose of cisplatinum that the patients had. And when that cisplatinum cumulative dosage gets higher, maybe around 400 milligrams per meter squared and above, then we start to be entering the range where we really do need to keep a close eye on hearing because the risk of hearing damage occurring is becoming greater. Now, it's a very important drug for curing some very bad cancers. So we don't want to just drop cisplatinum lightly. If all we see is a little bit of high-frequency hearing loss, well then, we may need to just continue with the treatment knowing that we're trying to cure a very bad cancer. If the hearing loss gets more severe and if it starts to appear in the spoken voice range, well then we have to look more closely. And we have to consider each time, do we really need to give any more cisplatinum or not? And chemotherapy protocols normally have guidelines for how much of an effect on hearing is acceptable and how much is not. And at what point you might say, only give a half dose or don't give any more cisplatinum at all. So important considerations. This effect on hearing does tend to be a permanent one. And it is true that certain patients who have had cisplatinum have ended up needing hearing aids. I would say that's only a minority of patients, but certainly I've seen some patients who have ended up needing hearing aids after cisplatinum treatment. So the effect on hearing is variable. There are some patients who seem more sensitive than others. 
There are patients that I've given full courses of cisplatinum to and their audiograms have barely changed. And then there are other patients who get more severe changes at more modest doses. And so that's why we need to monitor the hearing with the audiogram test after a few doses of cisplatinum and then more frequently as the cumulative dose increases. The next main side effect to talk about is a toxic effect on the kidneys. Now, I already mentioned that low magnesium level. Well, that's one effect on the kidneys. What's happening there is that the cisplatinum is damaging the way that the kidneys normally hold on to magnesium in the bloodstream. And so the kidneys are letting too much magnesium through and into the urine. And so the patient ends up with a magnesium deficiency. And some of these patients have needed really high doses of magnesium to try to get their magnesium level into the normal range. But there's another set of side effects on the kidneys that I need to talk about. So one of the key measures of kidney function is something called the glomerular filtration rate, the GFR. This is one of the very key measures of how well kidneys are working, your GFR. And your GFR is essentially measuring how many mils per minute of blood are being filtered by your kidneys. That's what kidneys are meant to do in life. Your blood goes to the kidneys, they filter the blood. So the stuff that we don't want in our body anymore goes through the kidneys and then out through the urine and the things that we do want to keep are retained by the kidneys. So the kidneys hang on to water but they get rid of excess water. They hang on to salt and they get rid of potassium and they hang on to magnesium and they regulate all of these concentrations of things in the body. So the GFR can be estimated with a simple blood test. It's about one of the commonest blood tests we do in all of medicine and that's called a measure of the creatinine. Another test is a measure of the urea. So these are two chemicals, creatinine and urea, and both of them are chemicals that are normally excreted from the body by the kidneys. So if the GFR drops because the kidneys aren't working as well, then the creatinine level goes up and the urea goes up. And we know what the creatinine and urea was at the start with a patient, and we know what it should be for a given age. And so if we see the creatinine going up and the urea going up, well, that's evidence that the GFR is dropping as an effect of the cisplatinum. By the way, in America, they often refer to the urea as a BUN, blood urea nitrogen. So they might talk about a BUN instead of a urea. Anyway, that's the very common test and the basic test to measure kidney function, and we're doing it all the time. And when patients are in hospital having cisplatin chemotherapy, we're often repeating these blood tests every day to make sure that their kidneys aren't taking a bit of a hit from the chemotherapy. Now, a more sophisticated test of GFR can be done in what we call the nuclear medicine department. Nuclear medicine department is normally within the x-ray department or somewhere near the x-ray department, and they're the people that use different medical isotopes for various medical applications. Well, to measure GFR very, very accurately, we can inject 
one of these radioactive isotopes into the vein, usually through the central line, I think, and then take some blood tests a couple of hours later and a couple of hours later, and the amount that the radiation level drops in the bloodstream tells you exactly how much the kidneys are clearing the isotope. So they can measure the radioactive isotope in the blood, and from the amount that it drops, they can calculate the GFR pretty well exactly. So this is a much more sensitive and accurate test of exactly how good are the kidneys. What is that GFR rate, the glomerular filtration rate? Now, a normal person who is of average size, so a normal adult male, has a GFR of about 125 mils per minute. So that means that every minute, about 125 mils of blood gets pumped through the kidneys and through the filtering system of the kidneys. So that's the normal sort of GFR. And if you're smaller, the GFR is smaller. So before we start our cisplatinum chemotherapy, we'll do this test, this GFR test, and we'll know exactly what a patient's kidney function was like before we ever started. Then we can give the cisplatinum and we'll monitor the kidney function with the blood tests. But after a while, we might repeat this GFR test to see if the cisplatinum is having any effect on the patient's GFR. So we might repeat it after a couple of rounds of cisplatinum and where it was 125 mils per minute before, maybe it's going to be 90 mils per minute. Or maybe it'll drop to 70 mils per minute but we may see some reduction in the GFR test. Now, the thing about kidneys is that we are born with a lot of reserve kidney capability. You might know that you can take out one kidney completely and still be very, very healthy. So we've got a lot of reserve capacity in our kidneys, and so if we have some reduction in this GFR, that can be okay. We can accept a certain level of reduction in the GFR test, but we don't want too much. So there again comes a judgment to be made. The balance has to be struck between the fact that this is a very important drug to cure some very bad cancers, but at the same time we don't want to do too much damage to the kidneys. So if the GFR drops a certain amount, well that's that can be fine. It may be that it stays that way, it may be that it recovers, but very often it may be that the patient can be perfectly healthy with this level of kidney function and you would only really know about it if you went and measured their GFR. So it may not actually have any adverse effect on them. It might just be something you can document with your tests. On the other hand, if the kidney function gets worse and worse and if we just keep on giving the drug and giving the drug and ignoring that result well then we can do more severe kidney damage and that could have serious implications for staying healthy later in life. So most of the time we will see some effect on the kidney function if we do this GFR test. Oftentimes it seems to get better but sometimes it doesn't but generally it's manageable and it's an acceptable level of abnormality that's not going to have an effect on the patient. But from time to time we have to reduce the doses or stop giving cisplatinum because we're worried about the degree of kidney damage that we're seeing. So they're the main side effects that come to mind 
when I think of cisplatinum. I think of it as being a pretty bad drug as far as causing nausea and vomiting. And I think about hearing and I think about kidneys. And they're the big ones that we really have to be watching out for. Now, there are some other side effects that may occur. There are patients who complain that food doesn't taste the same for a while. They complain of food having some sort of metallic taste. Cisplatinum can have an effect on blood counts. So my other podcasts on an introduction to chemotherapy talk about blood counts a bit, and a lot of chemotherapy drugs will affect blood counts. Now, I'd say cisplatinum isn't as bad as a lot of other drugs in that respect, but it does make blood counts drop. There's no doubt about it but it's not as bad as high-dose cyclophosphamide or doxorubicin, for instance. Now, you've got to remember, cisplatinum is often given with doxorubicin for bone tumours, for instance, or it's often given with cyclophosphamide for certain brain tumours. So you have to always think about what other drugs are being given. But cisplatinum alone, yes, it does affect blood counts, but it doesn't tend to be as bad as some of the other drugs. Another toxicity that's reported is an effect on the nerves, I don't mean the nerves in the brain, I mean what we call the peripheral nerves, the nerves that go to your hands and feet. So I haven't seen this a great deal, but it's certainly in the books and certainly reported this thing called a neuropathy, a peripheral neuropathy. And that can be manifested by a sort of pins and needles in the hands and feet or some numbness or clumsiness in the hands and feet. Like I said, I haven't seen it a lot, but it certainly is described and can occur, and in some cases that can be a permanent thing. Now, what about an effect on the patient's ability to have children? Well, cisplatinum isn't such a prime offender there. It's not one of the drugs that we think of as being one of the terrible drugs for causing infertility. Again, you've got to remember it may be being given with other drugs, and so it needs to be looked at in that context. But it's not one of the worst drugs for causing infertility, and I would say there's plenty of patients who have had cisplatinum without an effect on fertility. Likewise, there would be a slightly increased risk later in life of getting a second malignancy because of the use of cisplatinum. But again, there are other drugs that are much higher on the list of things that can cause a secondary leukaemia, for instance, than cisplatinum. But cisplatinum use would be associated with a small increased risk of getting another malignancy, another cancer or leukaemia later in life. But again, that would be a slight effect. And compared to the disease that we're actually treating at the time, that would be a much smaller risk. So that's it for cisplatinum, really. Look, it's a pretty nasty drug, I've got to say. It causes bad nausea and vomiting. and You have to be in hospital to give it and be on all these fluids and things. But it is one of the best drugs for treating a number of different childhood cancers. We really rely on it a lot. And it's a very important drug, like I said, for neuroblastoma, for osteosarcoma, for germ cell tumours, for certain of the brain tumours. Critically important drug. But just to recap, it's given intravenously, normally as a long infusion, and normally with a lot of fluids, and those fluids often have mannitol and magnesium in them to help to protect the kidneys. Might require an inpatient stay for a few days to give it, normally with a lot of vomiting drugs. We've got to keep a close eye on kidney function and hearing function during treatment, 
and make dose adjustments if the kidneys or the hearing are too severely affected. Anyway, I'll leave it there for now. Uh, Thank you again for tuning in to this Understanding Childhood Cancer podcast. I'm Dr. Jeff. I'll talk to you next time. Bye now. (laughs) 